You are listening to the Murray Hills Church Podcast. To learn more about Murray Hills Church, including our gathering times and how to connect with us, visit us online at murrayhills.com. tired. (laughs) Um, I want to go ahead and get the really controversial stuff out of the way early this morning because the first six people that saw me when I walked in this morning said, why you got a coat on? And uh, it's real simple. My shirt was wrinkled, so I ironed it by putting on a coat. And uh, so, and halfway through the worship, I'm like, why did I do that? Because I was starting to break out of sweat during worship. So, uh, Thank you so much for your worship this morning. Online, we couldn't hear you, but we know that you were singing just as loudly uh, this morning. And we're honored by your presence here today. Whether you're joining us in the room or you're joining us online, uh, we're really grateful that you made Murray Hills a part of your Sunday morning. We're in a series right now called Love and Justice. And this is week three of the series, which is just about the halfway point of the series. And if you've been here for the first two, then you already know this is not going to be an easy series. I mean, this is, we're talking about some tough stuff in this series. We're talking, we're having some difficult conversations uh, in this series. And one of the things you'll figure out about Murray Hills, if you don't know this already, we don't shy away from hard conversations. We're willing to have the hard conversation. If our culture is talking about it, then we as a church We want to talk about it, and we want to give people a safe place to talk about it, a safe place to wrestle with doubts, a safe place to wrestle with their thoughts and feelings, a safe place to to weigh what they believe against the truth of God's Word. And um, a lot of places aren't comfortable doing that. You know, I've been a part of a lot of churches that are not comfortable having hard conversations. And you want to know why most churches are not comfortable having hard conversations? Because it's hard. I mean, it's, it's hard because I know some of you already, you've had tense conversations in your small groups or you've had tense conversations over lunch or you've had tense conversations with yourself. You've kind of sat in your own discomfort and disagreement and go, what do I think about this and why am I feeling this way? And I mean, we think that's okay. We think it's okay to feel that way. Sometimes we come to church to be comforted and sometimes we come to church to be challenged. And we really like the comfort side of church, but, but Jesus does challenge us as well. And, and it's okay because we think, you know, our God is big enough, we're mature enough in our faith, and we're confident enough in who we are in Christ to handle hard conversations. One of the things that I tell uh, our step one class, which is like our 101, our introduction to Murray Hills, most of you have been through that class at some point. I always tell those classes, one of the greatest strengths of this church is our denominational diversity. And I tell them that right after we have this, you know, like I start the class by saying, tell us where you're from and tell us what church you grew up in. And if we have 10 people in the room, there's eight different denominations. I mean, it's Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Episcopal, Presbyterian, Church of Christ, Southern Baptist, Assembly of God a little bit of nothing and a little bit of everything like it's just it's all across the room and after we do that exercise I tell them that's Murray Hills like that's exactly who Murray Hills is we're a very diverse congregation denominationally we're a diverse congregation generationally we got millennials to boomers and all in between and above and below and I don't even know what the the next generation is called so like we're very diverse generationally and we're seeking to become more verse ethnically And we think that's a strength. We think having a a diverse group of voices and experiences and and life, you know, we think that's a strength 
right? And the question then becomes, well, how do you hold it together? I mean, if you've got all this diversity, when you put people in a small group, when, when, when people have lunch after church on Sunday, how in the world do you hold it all together? Because goodness, I mean, you know, read the news. The Southern Baptists are struggling to hold it together just with other Southern Baptists. You know, our Methodists struggle to hold it together just with other Methodists. And so if this is a multi-denominational congregation, and it's a multi-generational congregation, then how in the world do you hold it together? And the answer is simple. We, we appeal to an old restoration movement motto that says, in matters of faith, unity, in matters of opinion, liberty, and in all things, love. So it means that there are some matters of faith that we need to have unity around, namely the identity of Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We want to be unified around that because we believe the scriptures are 100% clear on that truth. And if we are unified around Christ, we will be unified. If we try to unify around any other doctrinal distinction, there's no way. So Christ is the sole basis of our unity. Now, there's other matters of faith that we, you know, hey, the Bible's the Word of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, salvation comes through Christ alone. God is the creator of the universe. You know, like we, we put those in a statement of faith on our website. And you can go, I'm not going to go through them all today, but you can go to our website and look at our statement of faith. It hadn't changed in the 20 years that this church has been in existence because they're rooted in God's Word. But there are many, many other opinions that have changed. This church has changed its opinion on many issues over its 20 years. I've changed my opinion over many issues. And some of it's your fault. It's your fault because I sat in Bible studies with you or I sat in, you know, small groups with you. And, and you changed my mind on some things. And some of it's my fault. Some of it, I changed your mind on some things. Through sermons and teachings or whatever, I changed your mind. And some of us are so stubborn, we ain't never going to change our mind on nothing. And that's okay. It's okay because when it comes to opinions, we're free to have a liberty of thought. It, we're free to have different opinions on things. But regardless, whether we're talking about a matter of faith or whether we're talking about a matter of opinion, we have to show love to each other. We, that, that's a non-negotiable. As followers of Jesus, it's non-negotiable for us to show love to each other because Jesus defined that as the greatest command. Jesus said the greatest commands are to love the Lord your God with all your strength, soul, heart, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said loving your neighbor as yourself is like loving God. That's how important love was to Jesus. Uh, the Bible defines love as the royal law found in Scripture. It's the fulfillment of Scripture. It's the fulfillment of the law. It's the foundation of our faith. At the end of these things... Three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Or to quote Harold, I see you, Lorene, i got to say, at the end of the day, it all comes back to love. It always does. And so we have to stay rooted in love no matter what we do. You're going to see that today because we're talking love and justice in this series. So we've, we've talked a lot about justice, and we're going to talk about justice today but love and justice got to walk hand in hand. It's like faith and works. It's not one to the neglect of the other. You know, we got to have faith and we got to have works. Those things go together. It's not either or, it's both and. We got to have love and we got to have justice. Those things go together. It's not either or, it's both and. I want to start with Micah chapter 6. I'm talking about justice in the New Testament today, but I'm going to start in the Old Testament. And, and if you've been a part of this series, We've done, this is the third time, or this is actually the fourth time that this verse has made its appearance in this series. And we've only done three messages on it, but this is the fourth time this verse made the appearance. The reason I'm starting here 
is because the first time I taught on this verse, and I used Micah chapter 6, verse 8, which tells us to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. But last week, Robert included the context, and he went back and picked up verses 6 and 7. And I, and I loved what he said about a, a text without a context is a pretext for whatever we want it to mean. I mean, because I, I, context is so, so important. So he goes back and picks up the verses before verse 8. And the context of this is God saying through the prophet to his people something really hard. Like, we love verse 8. We, that, that's tweetable. Right? I mean, that's, we put that on Instagram. Take a picture of that real quick. Put that on Instagram tonight. Uh, verses 6 and 7 aren't so soft and sweet. Because in verses 6 and 7, God says through the prophet Micah, don't bring me your platitudes. Don't, don't bring me your sacrifices. Don't bring me your offerings. Don't bring me your worship. Don't bring me your songs. Don't bring me your sound doctrine if you aren't willing to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And it's not the only time that God said that through the prophets. God also said that through other prophets. Amos is one of the more famous ones. Uh, Amos chapter 5. God said this, and this is powerful language. And this is written to the people of Israel, but this is powerful language. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard from them. Away with the noise of your songs. The, you can see why the prophets were not popular, right? Away with the noise of your songs. But this is what he says in verse 24. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. So he says, you know, if, if you come to me with worship, but you neglect justice, then that worship's hollow. If you, you know, if you come to me with sacrifice and offerings and tithes, but you neglect justice and love, then that's hollow. And it's not just the Old Testament that says that. The New Testament, I mean, remember the parable of the sheep and the goats? Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. I mean, that's, that, that is the scariest parable to me in all of the Bible. I don't like teaching on the parable of the sheep and the goats because it's a, it's a, it's a tough, tough teaching. That is a very challenging teaching of Jesus. Or in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Many who say to me, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. I do not like that verse. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a difficult, that's a challenging verse to hear because Jesus is saying, hey, faith without works is dead. You've got you to gotta do both of these things. And I think you'll see this as we go through uh, the New Testament this morning. I... Honestly, I would rather have had the Old Testament. To, to be honest with you, as I started studying the teachings this week, I'm like, I, I wish I'd have flipped that around, and I wish I'd have taken the Old Testament, because the Old Testament is easier to dismiss than the New Testament. Because the Old Testament, we can kind of look and go, oh, yeah, yeah, God talked about justice in the Old Testament, but that's old. You know, that's Old Testament. We're New Testament Christians. So that, you know, justice, yeah, yeah, the prophets, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's really hard stuff, but... You know, we're New Testament. That was then, and this is now. Like, we're Jesus, and Jesus is safe, right? I mean, Jesus, Jesus doesn't make any big high demands on our life. Jesus is, Jesus is soft and cuddly and warm and fuzzy, right? Like Ricky Bobby said, we like the Christmas Jesus version the best, right? That's, that's, the, that's the version of Jesus we like. We like the warm, fuzzy Jesus. We like the soft, cuddly Jesus. We can just look at him and go, oh, how sweet and cute he is, and we can just go about our life. But uh, Ricky Bobby's father-in-law actually had the better theology when he said, 
He was a man. He had a beard. That's good theology right there because what he's saying is he grew up. He grew up and he had some demands on our life. And we're going to look at those. And if you don't know, if you did not catch that cultural reference, then you are way too young. And you need to go back and you need to find uh, Talladega Nights so that you'll know what in the world I just talked about there. Because I just realized I went over like half, you know, everybody under the age of 20 is like, what is he? Who's Ricky Bobby? Um, you need to find out. You really do. Um, let's take a look at some passages in the New Testament. If you've got a Bible with you, the first one I want to look at, I want to show you three. Uh, in the NIV, I think there's 14, 15 mentions of justice in the New Testament. Most of them are in the Gospels. And so that's where we're going to stay uh, this entire morning. But Matthew chapter 12 is the first one, beginning in verse 15, I believe it is. Yeah, verse 15. So Jesus is beginning to teach, and he is beginning to um, heal people. He's beginning to attract large crowds and, and followers. And the religious authorities of his day don't like it. So they feel threatened by the things that Jesus is teaching. And it says, verse 15, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place, and a large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill, and he warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out until he has brought justice through to victory. In his names, the nations will put their hope. Now, that's, that's the prophet Isaiah writing about Jesus. And Matthew wants to make it very clear to us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah. That when the prophet Isaiah spoke of one who would come, who would proclaim justice to the nations, and, and who would bring justice through to victory, that he was talking about Jesus. And what I want you to see here is that Jesus comes to bring justice. We, we like to think of Jesus as nothing but, you know, uh, love and kindness. And Jesus is nothing but love and forgiveness. But there, Jesus comes to bring both love and justice. There's this, you know, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. But he brings justice. And Jesus is, doesn't reject the tradition of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus actually fulfills the traditions of the Old Testament prophets. He, he continues in the teaching of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus himself says this in Luke chapter 4. So you can flip over a couple of, of books in Luke chapter 4. And this in our bumper video that we've used that gives me just a little time to set up my table and the kids to be dismissed. Uh, this has been the verse that we've been using. It's Luke chapter 4 and this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And uh, he's in Nazareth and he's teaching in the synagogue. He goes to the synagogue. And it said he stood up, this is verse 17, oh, I start in 18. He took the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he began to read in the synagogue, and this is what he read from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Now, Jesus doesn't specifically, or Isaiah in this case, doesn't specifically mention justice in there, but he's talking about justice for marginalized people. Everyone he mentions in that series that, that Jesus is reading there, the, the poor and prisoners and the oppressed, and you know, he, he's talking about justice. And verse 20 and 21 kind of give me chills when you think about this. So it says, Jesus rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone on the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, that just, it, it, I mean could you just imagine from, from a Jewish perspective, you've been waiting on the Messiah and waiting on the Messiah. And Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah. And you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting on the Messiah. And then Jesus reads this prophecy and sits down and says, today you've heard that scripture fulfilled. And again, it's just a reminder to me that like, you, you can't really separate old and new here when it comes to justice because Jesus is the fulfillment. He continues in the Old Testament concepts of justice. There's tons of verses that command Israel to, to you know, take care of the poor and to take care of widows and orphans and to take care of you know, the oppressed and to, to, to take care of the immigrant. And all of these verses that are talking to Israel and Jesus is, is saying, I'm the fulfillment of those, And you can see that in his teaching, not only his teaching, but his life. You can see, I mean, Jesus uh, was attracted to the vulnerable and the marginalized and the disfranchised. He, he uh, took care of women. He took care of widows and orphans. He took care of the poor, uh, tax collectors, prostitutes, the children. I mean, th those were all groups in that society that were vulnerable. They were, they were uh, disenfranchised groups. And Jesus sought to treat them equitably. The Samaritans. The parable of the Good Samaritan is actually a Samaritan that has a lot to do with justice. Because Jesus taught to treat everyone equitably. Everyone to be treated as a fellow image bearer of the creator. And in that society, just like in our society, they did not treat everyone equitably. And so Jesus taught, taught, uh, brought, came to bring justice. The last verse I want to show you is uh, Luke chapter 11. The one thing, eh, not the one thing, he actually, there were seven things. One of the things that Jesus took the religious leaders to task for in his day was their neglect of justice. And Matthew 23, he goes through seven woes for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Because, you know, kind of like it's in the spirit of Amos and Micah. Because he's like, you know, you, you, you look good on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones. Like you clean the outside of the cup and dish and you, you whitewash the outside of the tomb. and all. So Jesus is kind of taking them to task in the spirit of an Old Testament prophet uh, Luke 11 has some of the same woes, but that was the one that, Luke 11, verse 42, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all kinds of other garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. He's like, you're really careful to, to, to tithe and do your offerings and do everything with exacting obedience and righteousness, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You neglect love and justice. And if you neglect love and justice, what Jesus says in Matthew is, then it's like straining gnats and swallowing a camel. And what he means there, the reference is, the Pharisees were so specific in their obedience to the law. They were so faithful and obedient to God's law and the law of Moses that they didn't want to do anything, even unintentionally, they didn't want to do anything that might violate one of God's laws. And one of his laws was the kosher laws about clean and unclean animals, and a gnat was an unclean animal. And so they would strain out their drinking water and strain out their wine 
just to make sure they didn't accidentally swallow a gnat and accidentally disobey the law of Moses. And Jesus actually, if you, if you read that text correctly, he, he doesn't tell them they're wrong in that. I mean, he doesn't say, like, what are you doing? You guys are way too legalistic. He actually doesn't say, he says you should have practiced the former without neglecting the latter. In other words, yeah, your, your personal morality is important. Your, your righteousness and your obedience to the law and the, the way you care about your obedience to the law, that's, that's good. But you neglected justice. And if you neglect justice and if you neglect love, then you're straining a gnat and swallowing a camel. You should have done both. You should, have, you should have sought to do, this is not an either or proposition. Either I can be faithful and obedient to Christ or I can pursue justice. This is the, I don't know where we got the idea that those are either or concepts. They're, they're both and. We've got to do both of those things. Yeah, we've got to be faithful to Jesus, but we've also have to pursue justice. And I think that's what Jesus teaches uh, in the New Testament, all throughout the New Testament, not just in the words that he says, but in the way that he treats people, as I talked about, the way he treats the poor and the way he treats uh, tax collectors and prostitutes and, and children and Samaritans, the, the vulnerable, the marginalized in the society, Jesus lifted them up and restored them to a place of uh, equity. Like He restored them, he restored their dignity in many cases. And Luke is really uh, keen on that when it comes to, to women and the poor. Luke talks a lot about how Jesus did that. Jesus took the marginalized and lifted them up. And then you got parables like the sheep and the goats and parables like the rich young ruler and, and parables like the, the great banquet and parables like the, the good Samaritan. And it's like, have we missed the point of, of a lot of this? Like, like in churches, we're arguing about worship style and there's poor people in our community that need fed. <laughs> and we're, we're, we're fussing about... I didn't like that song Tiffany did today. I, I, like, I like to do these songs, not these songs. Or we're arguing about the color of the carpet in the sanctuary, and there's marginalized people groups in our society that don't have justice. And, uh, like, do, do we miss the point of it all? Do we today, like the Pharisees, strain gnats and swallow camels? Tim Keller uh, does a great job of breaking this down. And I'm going to recommend a book to you. You guys know I'm always recommending books. Um, Timothy Keller is a pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in um, New York City. And he's written a book 10 years ago called Generous Justice, How God's Grace Makes Us Just. Now, Keller is a theological conservative. I think most people would classify him in that category. But he thinks a lot of his fellow conservatives have kind of missed the mark when it comes to justice. And um, I want to read you what he says, because he kind of talks about how Jesus teaches a whole cloth approach to all of these issues we're talking about. That yes, Jesus advocates for personal morality, and yes, he advocates for obedience and, and all of these things, but he also advocates for justice, and he advocates for love. And, and uh, he takes the Sermon on the Mount specifically and says, this is where you see Jesus start to do this. And I was kind of very interested in that because the next series that I'm going to do, we're going to do as a church, is the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to spend about 12 to 13 weeks on the Sermon on the Mount right after Easter. And uh, so it was interesting to me to read what Keller had to say about it. And I'm going to read it for two reasons. One, I want to say it the way Keller said it because I think it's powerful. Two, Keller mentions politics. And so if he's going to, if we're going to talk politics, I'd rather y'all be mad at him than me. Um, Here's what he says. He says, what, what we've not noticed very often in the Sermon on the Mount, or all the teachings of Jesus, 
is how Jesus weaves into a whole cloth what we today would call private morality and social justice. Along with the well-known prohibitions against sexual lust in the heart, adultery, and divorce, there are calls to give to the poor and to refrain from overwork and materialism. Now, here's where I think Keller hits it. In Western society, these sets of concerns have often been split off from one another. In fact, each of America's two main political parties has built its platform on one of these sets of ethical prescriptions to the near exclusion of the other. Conservatism stresses the importance of personal morality, especially the importance of traditional sexual mores and hard work, and feels that liberal charges of racism and social injustice are overblown. On the other hand, liberalism stresses social justice and considers conservative emphasis on moral virtue to be prudish and psychologically harmful. Each side, of course, thinks the other is smug and self-righteous. It's not only the political parties that fail to reflect this whole cloth biblical agenda. The churches of America are often more controlled by the surrounding political culture than by the spirit of Jesus and the prophets. Conservative churches tend to concentrate on one set of sins, while liberal ones concentrate on another set. Jesus, like the Old Testament prophets, does not see two categories of morality. He wrote that in 2010. And I wonder what he thinks in 2021. Because I see a lot of that on both sides. In churches that lean to the right and churches that lean to the left, you see a lot. They tend to concentrate on one set of sins to the neglect of another set of sins. And what I think Keller does is kind of recapture what Jesus was doing. Jesus is trying to call us to a whole cloth morality. Yes, personal morality matters. Yes, you know, traditional faith and belief, all of that stuff matters, absolutely. But so does social action. So does social justice. Yes, you can be theologically conservative and care about social justice issues and causes. Like those things are not fighting with one another. Those things are not to the neglect of one another. Now, if all you focus on is social justice and you leave the gospel out of it, that's wrong. If all you focus on is the gospel and you leave social out of it, that's wrong. It's, it's both and, not either or. The gospel compels us to act socially. The gospel, as followers of Jesus, we're compelled to lift up other people. Whatever they may be, whatever marginalized group they're in, whether we're talking the unborn or we're talking mentally handicapped or we're talking uh, the poor, I mean, whatever it is, whatever those cat, when we see folks that are marginalized or disenfranchised or somehow seen as less than, that, that in, in our society we treat them as less than. As followers of Jesus, yes, we're called to lift them up. We can't say, oh, well, it'll be better in heaven. You know, that's, that, that, what good are we? We're to bring, you know, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're not just sitting around waiting for heaven. We're trying to bring God's will up on this earth. And we will not do it perfectly. It's going to be messy. It's going to be messed up. Uh, There's always going to be inequality on some level. Um, You know, there's always going to be racism on some level. There's, there's always going to be folks that are treated unjustly on some level. Like it's, it, because we live in this imperfect world and, and we're full of sin. Every one of us is full of sin. But we do our best, as followers of Jesus, we do our best to say, hey, yes, we believe 
in, in personal responsibility and personal morality, but we also believe in social action, that as a church we should care about these things. And if you look at the New Testament church, I really think they did that. Read Acts chapter 2. They not only praised God, but they met each other's needs. They, they combined their resources and met each other's needs in Acts chapter 2. Or you read Acts chapter 7. And one of the big issues was there were some people who were being neglected in the church. The Hebraic Jews were neglecting the, the Greek, you know, and, and so they, the, the, the early church leaders said, we've got to fix this. You know, this is an injustice. We've got to fix this. In Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas go to bat for the Gentiles who are being treated unjustly. They're not being welcomed into the gospel. And so the, the church has to address that and they have to correct that. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 or James chapter 2, or you see this all throughout the early church sought to practice love and justice because they followed a resurrected rabbi who taught them and showed them how to practice love and justice. And, and that's the challenge before us today. And the reason I say it's a challenge <laughs> is because we don't all agree on how we should go about that. Like, we, we don't. We don't all agree on exactly what justice looks like and um, that's why we're getting ready to move into this next part of our series where we start talking specifically about some specific areas and I <laughs> that's a lot of specifically I specifically chose them to to reach across the political spectrum where nobody could say oh that's a right-leaning church or oh that's a left-leaning church I, I went all across we're talking next week about uh, the unborn justice for the unborn Traditionally, that gets clumped into one political category. You know, oh, that's a whatever issue. But it, I don't care which side of the aisle it's on. I care where Jesus is at on it. That's where, like, Jesus should inform our faith more than our politics. Jesus should inform our faith more than social media. Jesus should inform our faith more than traditional media. Right? I think all of us agree on that, that Jesus should be the basis of our faith. Yes, we're going to be influenced by social media, influenced by traditional media, influenced by politics, but Jesus is the foundation. And so we want to know, what does he say about these things? And then how do we practice justice in our world today? I've asked for help because I, I haven't studied much on this. Honestly, I haven't. And so I'm, next week, this is who we're bringing in. This is uh, Kathy Cook. She's not a member of this church. Uh, she's the director of the, it was called the Columbia Pregnancy Center. I think it may be the Middle Tennessee Pregnancy Center now because they've expanded. But she's going to talk to us about the issue of, of abortion you know how do we engage in this topic how do we help people like the pregnancy center is helping women who are either considering abortion or maybe who have already had abortion and and so they're trying to help people work through this and so how do we do that and how can we help and so I'm, I'm anxious to hear about her work and I'm anxious to hear her thoughts on how we practice how do we practice in a practical way how do we practice justice for the unborn what does that look like to advocate for the unborn? Because you want to talk about a vulnerable population or you want to talk about a voiceless population. How do we speak up, speak up and advocate for the most vulnerable population in our society? And um, so that's, that's what we're going to talk about next week. And then we're going to build on it every week. We got Randy Nichols is going to be speaking to us about um, serving the poor. And Lauren uh, Pinkston is going to speak to us about human trafficking. And then Ebony and I together are going to talk about racial justice uh, the last week of this series. So um, the last thing I'll mention about this, and then I want to pray. Oh, man, I, we got to quit, too. Uh, <laughs> I just looked at the clock. Um, some of you are thinking it's about time. Um, a lot of people have asked, like, hey, can we talk about this? Like, you know, you're, you're, we're introducing some stuff. I, would, I got some questions. Like, can, can, 
can we talk? And we hear that and say, yeah, let's talk. And so Ebony is going to lead a, it's a Zoom small group, so it's only going to be on Zoom. And what night is it, Ebony? Thursdays, Thursday nights. And it'll start on March 11th, and it's a dig deeper conversation. So we know that in 20 minutes, there's no way to unpack justice for the unborn in 20 minutes. <laughs> there's no way. So Ebony will do a follow-up conversation of, hey, how do we do this? And, you know, we'll provide some resources and things like that. So if you're interested in that, there's a link online in our comment section, or you can go to the Church Center app and sign up for that dig deeper conversation. Let me say a word of prayer for us. we got to do our offering. i got to tell you about Easter, and then we're going to get you out of here. All right, let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for this church. I am... I am this church, the people in this church have taught me so much. And they've taught me that through agreement, and they've taught me that through disagreement. And some of the times that I've grown the most in this church is when I've been the most uncomfortable. And I'm thankful for, for my brothers like Harold that taught me <clears throat> how to love. I'm thankful for my brother like Gary that taught me about the resurrection from the dead. I'm thankful for my brother like Stephen Worley that taught me that it was okay to come to a church where you didn't agree with everything that happened in that church. Um, I'm, I'm just thankful for this church, Father, and, and the spirit in, in which it's, it's taught me these things. And, and I pray that we continue to do these things. I pray that you be with Murray Hills as we continue to be a place that stays firmly rooted in you and your son Jesus but also takes the teachings of your word, Jesus, seriously. And we're not just here to sing a few songs and go home on a Sunday morning. Uh, we're here to, to be ambassadors that bring about your will on earth as it is in heaven. And help us as we do that. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.